Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being mine. But yeah, I'm still your host. You know that. Uh, flying with me today, as always these days, is Mr. Cody Bontecue. How are you doing, Cody? Hey, hey, I'm doing doing just wonderful. Yes, Cody suffers living in Hawaii. We felt we all feel his pain as we look out the window at the cold and rain. <laughs> Although it's supposed to get back up in the 80s this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. I'd like to hold on to summer as long as I can around here. I'm not one of those people that just can't wait for fall and pumpkin spice and Halloween and all that stuff. Oh. I want sun and warmth and shorts. Anyway, that's me. So it is just the two of us today because our uh, scheduled guest was unable to make it, unfortunately, and hopefully we can reschedule that person for later. But on the fly, we said, what in our vast knowledge of wisdom and experience can we talk about? And so we decided, actually, it's the only thing we could think of, uh, that Cody's going to talk to us today about shad. And no, we are not talking fish. I go shad fishing with a buddy of mine by myself quite a bit, actually. Um, shad CN, it's a uh, component library. And it's a good thing because there aren't many component libraries out there, right, Cody? Yeah, just just a, just a couple. There's just but a few. This one's worth knowing about. This one's worth knowing about. So uh, I've been looking at it. And, and uh, anyway, I'll let Cody take us away and tell us about his experience with Shad's DN. Sure. Let's see. So if if some of you follow the, the Twitter drama, this is Shad CN. It's the latest and greatest um, UI framework. Um, in fact, the creator of it, I think he just goes by Shad CN on Twitter, um, just got hired by Vercel. Um, and so if you're familiar with Vercel, the company behind Next.js, um, I believe they use Shad entirely for their UI. Um, and there's there's also some other pretty unique things I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but enough of the history. Uh, Shad CN is a UI uh, library, I guess, if you want to call it that, a component library um, built on top of Radix. And it brings one, just like, uh, it's beautiful, like the the components that it, it's very, very nice. Uh, they're built using uh, Tailwind CSS and um, it's purely accessible, uh, which is also really important for a gamer like myself. You know, you can tab through your UIs incredibly effectively, uh, you know, hit, hit that enter button, hit that escape button. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's other areas of accessibility that I just personally haven't had to deal with that it supplies. And yeah, I don't know. I've been using this in just personal projects lately, and it's really nice. Uh, One of the key features, something they pride themselves on, is that Shad is not a... uh, Okay, they say this in bold. This is not a component library. It is a collection of reusable components that you can copy and paste or use the CLI to add to your apps. And so there is no like NPM installed necessary. You just copy and paste these view components into your application and it works. Um, all the views, that, all, the, all the interactivity, all of like the 
um, you know, mobile support, everything you can need from like a UI, uh, like these view components, it comes with the project. Now, to correct one thing here, you're already off on the wrong foot, Cody, missing something here. Um, You don't necessarily copy paste. It looks like they have a CLI that you can use and it basically copies, creates the components and puts them in your directory. Right. You can do either. So the CLI just does that for you. So there's like an NPX command that will uh, just kind of create like a directory structure for these components and kind of connect them easily. Um, But it's also uh, copy and pasteable. And basically like what that means is there's no um, additional like external packages that it needs to download uh, outside of, um, I believe, like the core view functionality. Um, just so like to give an example, if you wanted to use something like uh, Beautify or like Prime View, you couldn't just, you can't just copy and paste their source code into your project due to um, what I'm assuming uh, that they have like uh, dependencies that um, also come alongside that package, which will bloat your, um, your, your project. Uh, whereas Shad CN. Um, so ShadCN is a layer, uh, I guess we kind of skipped the step here. So ShadCN is a layer on top of something called Radix view. And so ShadCN is just like a opinionated, um, UI, like a design system on top of these other headless UI components that Radix provides. But I, I again, I, I believe it's the same philosophy, like Radix does not require any external dependencies. Radix just uh, these components are copy and pasteable, um, or you can use like their handy CLI to just uh, run a ter- terminal command to get them into your project. So what is okay? So I'm looking at the Radix docs at radix-view.com, and it's talking about how it's designed for view. So what is Shad doing on top of Radix? Is it taking away the styling and using Tailwind? Is that it? Or what's it? Uh, do they yes. rely on Tailwind? Right, right. I think all Shad is doing is adding like a unified design system on top of Radix. Um, and so it's, uh, so if you've ever been to like Vercel, they're very much just black and white and gr- like grayscale. Um and I believe that's like what Shad is doing. Shad CN is doing. Is it? Uh, it's just kind of adding that Tailwind CSS along with these headless components. So typically, with like a headless UI component, it just comes with like the the view logic, the jobs, the JavaScript logic, and it's up to the developer to customize the UI and the CSS of it. Um, and Shad CN just like takes it one step further and they just do all of that for you. Um, so it's copy and pasteable and beautiful, um, but it doesn't take away from the um, ease of customization. If you do want to change like the color of your buttons or whatever you may have, um, it's all based in like CSS variables. And so you can alter your design systems through that. Um, or just go into the component that's now a part of your project and alter um, some of the source code there. 
Okay, so looking at the installation docs for Shad, it has it for frameworks. I don't see a view option here. So if you're using Beat, you just take the Beat install option then because it's got Laravel, Astro, Remix, Next, and Gatsby as well. Um, so um, are you looking at Shad CN view or Shad CN? Shad CN. Okay, so Shad CN, just to clarify, Shad CN and Radix are, um, they come from the React world. And um, there's a, a wonderful dev, I think he goes by Zernonia. Yeah, Zernonia, who is creating, uh, basically recreating these components, but in view. And so there's a Shad CN view, gotcha. as well as a, a Radix view package. Okay, I got you. Now I'm looking at yep. it. And so far in my experience, um, it's pretty much feature complete. Like I haven't ran into any issues in the view, um, in these view components that the React components don't have. Um, the only difference really is maybe the React side is slightly better documented. Um, but I've been able to look at the React docs and see, you know, maybe like the prop usage or just like examples of how it renders. And I can put those props into my view component and it works perfectly. So that's not considered heresy using React stuff in view? Well, so I was just looking at like the Radix source code and I don't actually think there's, I, I, I assumed it was just going to be like some like magical wrapper around the React code. Um, but it's, it looks like he just actually rebuilt a lot of these components in pure view. Um, so I'm a fan of, uh, you know, inspiring one another between frameworks. Sure. Sure. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some get off my lawn kind of guy. I was just... <laughs> no, for sure. So it's, it's actually funny. The reason I got involved with this was I was trying to rebuild a personal project in next JS and, and Radix. And, um, it was just I was just running into walls, just not, I still struggle with Next and React. Um, and so it just like put me down the rabbit hole until I realized, oh, this, it also exists in Vue. And um, I was able to continue on with my next project. And it was just so much faster for me. Um, but yeah, again, I didn't, they're all the components are the same. I, I see in like the Shad CN views issues that there are, like feature requests of certain components. And so my assumption is these are components that are in the React version, but not yet in the Vue version. Um, but I, I could be wrong there. It could just, maybe they're just evolving and trying to implement even more components. Yeah, so that's been honestly really fun. I, I highly recommend people checking these things out. Um, it kind of solves a lot of, UI problems that you probably didn't even know you have in terms of accessibility. Um, but it also adds like beautiful animations, beautiful like styles. And then because of this preset design system, it's very easy to um, just kind of build apps very, very quickly. So, okay. So yeah, I'm just looking through the docs. So you install this or you got the CLI, the NPI command, and then you're manually configuring your tailwind files it looks like so then when you do 
um, say you go to install a, a component. So there's a, for instance, a commonly used one, at least one that I use a lot as a table component. <laughs> Um, and so you run npx chat cdn dash view at latest add table. So then that causes, uh, that just installs the, was it table, table caption, table header, table row, table head components in your, it knows where to install it in your directory or what exactly does that do when you run the command? Yes. Yeah. So, um, there, there is like a bit of, like you said, there is like, a at least in Nux. Where I'm familiar with this, there is like a bit of um, just like uh, configuration that needs to take place, and and really it's just kind of TypeScript configuration or like auto import configuration. Um, but I, but you you there's also this JSON file, this configuration file that basically are you using TypeScript or not? Um, which framework are you using? Uh, where is your CSS file? And where would you like us to install these components? And so that's kind of where that, that configuration occurs. Um, I haven't actually tried running that command without the JSON file, but I assume there's some defaults. Um, or maybe the CLI just yells at you. Um, but for example, I, I just gave my, I just told it like where to put my utils files, where to put my component files and where my tail, tail in CSS config is, and it was it's good to go. So when you run that, um, that npx uh, install command, it'll, it'll just place it wherever you prefer. So it's not assuming, so you can do it without TypeScript, right? For those of us who, who uh, foot draggers who have not seen the light and dive fully into the TypeScript world. <laughs> or for those I'm sure of you us, can. <laughs> who have dived out of the TypeScript world, as a lot of drama has been about lately. Right, um, right. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So then it adds it in. And then you, so you're basically then going to go in and instead of having this whole package under node modules yep, or somewhere else, you're going to have it in your actual project itself. And then you can tweak and mutilate to your heart's content, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so at least like for the button component, for example, it in one of the files that is that comes alongside that component is um, just like a JavaScript object um, called like button variants. And so this kind of, this is, it just does some like functional magic to allow you to um, say like button, put in a variant prompt and say, uh, for example, like the defaults are like destructive or outline. Um, but you can easily just add in your own variant there if you want to. And so that's that's one nice way of like configuring your CSS or like the, vi the visual side of these components if you want to tweak those. Um, and of course, you can totally change the prompts, you can change the emits, you can change everything because it's you're just getting these raw view components. Um, so there, there's nothing stopping you from tweaking it however you want. So then it's pretty bare bones. It looks like everything just installed like with gray border or light gray text. And there's got to be some tailwind there to configure some stuff, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Um, see, you know, that's the funny thing is I, I thought these were like pretty bare bones. But for example, like the toggle component <laughs> has like a lot of code behind it. Um and I guess maybe I just didn't realize that how much lo logic might 
being a toggle component. Um, but, um, but yeah, there, there's, I, there's a surprising amount of CSS that, that like Tailwind CSS that comes with it because it's always, it, it comes with dark mode and light mode in your code or like all that Tailwind comes with it, dark mode, light mode, dark mode, hover, light mode, hover, focus, rings, like all of these little areas of CSS that like, at least for me personally, I don't tend to pay attention to until way down the line. Um, this just comes with all of that right from the get-go. And so it's, um, again, it's just another benefit because now you have kind of like a like a fully featured component that kind of encompasses every problem you might need to solve. And then you can just kind of tweak those values right then and there um, instead of hoping to someday come back to it later. Yeah, it looks like one of the things it does is override the Tailwind resets. Because if you look in the typography uh, section and under getting started, it has a whole list of styles for H1 through H4, paragraph, block, quote, table, and so on. And I know that out of the box, Tailwind has its own resets that clears all that stuff, you know, wipes away the browser reset. So even if you <coughs> put in a H1 tag in your in your uh, component, in your HTML, you still have to style it. It doesn't do the default. Okay, it's this size font and it's bold and it's got this much margin and all that kind of stuff. So it looks like it has some opinionated uh, settings for for typography, at least. Definitely. Um, And I think that's kind of like the philosophy of the Shad CN is it's very opinionated. Um, Which, yeah, for for me, I I enjoy. But it's very opinionated, but it gives you the freedom to rip all that out if Mm -hmm. you need to. Um, and it's just in simple config files. There's nothing special about what they're doing. It's just Tailwind, you know, Tailwind config and things of that nature. Yeah, interesting. And they, I guess that's a little easier. I know one of the frustrations with uh, Bootstrap that I've always heard is that it gets you 80% of the way there and then 20% of it, you're trying to figure out how to heck to override it or customize it because everything is so hard-coded and built into it. Yep. Um, yeah, something I've run into you know, with using Bootstrap View at work. So, yeah, that's nice that you have the full uh, capability of, of overriding it from the ground up. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's kind of nice to have both. I, I personally enjoy the super opinionated UI libraries because um, most of the time I'm just trying to solve a problem. Like, it's not that I'm trying to solve a similar problem that's just super well designed. It's just I want to solve this specific problem and get it in front of people and see if they like it. And so I like these like opinionated UI libraries like, oh, drop down menu, done. I don't have to worry about anything else. Um, and same with pretty much every aspect of the app. And of course, if I need to add a little something here or there, it's easy. But I, I rarely do. Um but we'll see. Uh, I know one of the problems with Bootstrap, at least last time I used it, which was probably like, I don't know, five five or six years ago now, was that at the time, Bootstrap was so popular that every website looked like a Bootstrap website. Right. And, and so 
that was that was a problem. And so what once was like a beautifully designed, easy to use like library uh, to create nice websites ended up just being like, oh, it's a it's another bootstrap website. It's it's not great. And so who knows, maybe Shad CN will will also get there too. Um, but they also include different styles. So there's like a New York style versus a default style. I don't know if that's eventually they're going to add more styles down the line. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think they've got a little incomplete documentation because they're either that or they're copying from somewhere else because they have a on the data table page, which is I, I know it's a that was a real big one for in talking with John Leader for Beautify, that was mm-hmm. related and getting done. Um, and one that I've had to deal with in other places just because of the complexity of that type of component. It says, okay, we're not, we don't, there's just so many edge cases. There's so many different ways that uh, we're, we're going to lose the flexibility that a headless UI provides. And it doesn't, I don't think it means tailwind UI because it points to the TAN stack documentation. But it says, okay, we'll start with the table and build it build a complex table from scratch, but then it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> There's no more documentation for the data table. So I don't know if that's uh, something they mean to add and just have, they haven't gotten to or what, but I would be curious to see how they add all this stuff together to create a data table. Yeah, that's funny, actually. So, um, yeah, if you actually go to the ui.shadcn.com uh, data table component, so the React ShadCN stocks, um, yeah, it looks it looks like it's uh, word for word copied the documentation, um, and then oh. so oh it does yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you know the 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 React version has much more documentation, and so that's kind of been my experience is if the docs aren't working out for me in the view documentation, I, I dip into the React docs, and mo- like every time I've had to do that, those props. Or you know whatever I'm reading in the React docs translate over to the view docs, um, so I, I assume it's the same with the data table, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I haven't had to play with that one yet, because um, yeah, like I like I was saying, I, I believe like there's really just a couple devs, mostly just one key dev who's kind of doing writing these components, um, and so you know docs are 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 not his main um, focus. And when I've asked them on like Discord about certain things, because they do have like a dedicated Radix view uh, Discord channel that we can put in the show notes um, where, where you do get responses, it's semi-active. Um, they tend to just point you to like a source code, source code docs. So, which is the best, you're going to learn the most that way. Um, but, but no, I want somebody to just give me the steps. Tell me what to do. I don't want to figure it out on my own. Right. Don't we all? <laughs> Step one. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Shad CN. I, I very much recommend it. I, it's covered every case that I've needed. Um, there are some pieces missing for the most, but I've been able to work around them. Pretty, pretty seamlessly. Well, it's, it's quite a, quite a uh, um, good amount of components. I mean, I haven't counted, but you're looking at what, 30, 35, something like that? I'm guessing. Yeah. 
yeah. toggle buttons and hover. What was the one I was looking at? A hover card? Yeah, hover card. Yep. I wonder if that's like a hoverboard, but just a card. It's a two-dimensional hoverboard. There you go. That's yeah, pretty cool. I... It does that for you. Yeah, you just provide it uh, some text and... Uh, and then you just it hovers does the hovering for you. Yeah, you're looking at the the code snippet. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, the usage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's very nice. Just slots, just basically slot magic. It's slots everywhere. It's like a casino, huh? Slots everywhere. Yeah, it's slots, props, and and emits. Like if you if you start digging into these components, that's that's all it is. And and then there's some. Uh, Huge chunks of tail in CSS occasionally. Emit. So by that you mean like the component view model type emit, where you have you plug that in, and so whatever it's generated within the component, you got to pass back to the parent wherever you're implementing it. Yeah. So whatever you want. Yeah. So for example, like this component, this hover card. I'm assuming there's an on hover emit that's taking place, and so um, so. Within the code that's that's occurring, that on hover emit is just uh, it knows how to handle it. But if you wanted to customize it further, and say like you hover one card and like other things occur, for example, like a, a window appears or a window disappears, or um, I don't know, really whatever you want, you want to run additional code on that, not just an on or off, not just a boolean value on that hover. Um, th that's all exposed as well. Um, and I want to think of an area. So I used that recently with the alert component, for example. And so, or what, it was the alert dialog. So same thing. It's like uh, if, you, if you click on this show dialog button, um, the alert, the, the dialog appears. And it's like, hey, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Continue or cancel. Um, sometimes, at least in my case that I was using it in, I didn't want that dialogue to appear based off of like a button click. I wanted it to appear after like so many items were created. Um, and so like, and then like, basically it's like computed, like w once like five items exist, now we want to show the dialogue type of logic and so you can you can work on those emit like emit pro props and emits to, to do that as well um but again that's kind of that's kind of where the typescript comes in in my opinion is uh all of that's all of that's in at least the typescript versions um you can you can see like when they're defining the emits or defining the props there's also like the types that are defined along with it. So you can click into those types to see, um, you know, all of the props that are accepted, for example, or all of the emits that you can react on. Because um, sometimes they use multiple V models. Sometimes you're, you don't want just V model. There's going to be like two V models that it's watching and managing. And um, I actually don't, know how that's handled in javascript view because I, I haven't i haven't written javascript view in a while but it's just named emits basically you can have you can do if you look at the component view model documentation uh in the view docs uh you can have multiple bound 
uh, values that will emit right. up to your parent. It's just a, a, you're basically adding an alias. A short okay, that's you right. Know. You just pass it like an array, right? And they're just strings or something. Uh, not or sure. Or you can also maybe do a dictionary, I guess. That's Python, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they're called dictionaries in JavaScript too, right? Or oh, I thought Python had the lock on the word dictionary. I thought they trademarked it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have multiple B model bindings if you look mm -hmm. under component B model um, because you're targeting a particular prop that gets passed down and then an emit event that gets passed up. Um, so you can sync it to different props because you're naming... Uh, what your B model value is that you're binding to. Yeah. So that's yeah. Probably, I'm, I'm assuming that's how it does it. Oh, yeah. No, it's exactly how it does it. Um, but I was just curious how, uh, like, in, in TypeScript, it's easy to, like, in a JavaScript component versus a TypeScript component. If you're writing in the JavaScript component, like, the model colon, does that autocomplete take place? Of like, um, you know, in, in this example, there's uh, two potential props, uh, first name and a last. Well, I guess that's it's kind of the same. That's just shorthand. Um. Anyways, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm just rambling at this point. Um, but one thing I did want to talk about as well, alongside the Shad CN, is are you familiar with v0.dev? Have you heard of this, Steve? I have not. No. So v0.dev is a Vercel project that um, came out shortly after they acquired Shadcn. Shortly after they they hired him on. Um, how do you spell it? How, what's how is it? V. It's so literally just the out? letter v, v, the letter V, and then the number zero. Oh, dot gotcha. dev. And this is, I've just been seeing some people on Twitter post about this because it's, it's, there's a wait list. So you have to be invited and I'm not cool enough to be invited just yet. Uh, but it's basically, a, <laughs> it's basically the chat GPT prompt um, that, uh, for example, this says uh, a landing page for my personal portfolio is their example prompt. And you click that, and it'll actually generate a landing page for your personal portfolio and give you the uh, code to, to, to run that, to render that in code. Um, Based on what? Just pulling, guessing what you like or what your thing looks like? I mean, do you give it any input like, hey, go look at this URL and... so. So here's one example. I can send you a link. Um, so it's it's kind of built similar to like a mid-journey or a chat GPT. And so this one is a hero component for an email client. And so it just has like this nice little like, you know, grid layout. Half of the grid is some text with the input. The other half is an image. And it, it actually just renders like kind of exactly what you'd expect. Um, but then there's like a second iteration. So you can you can... You can talk about this after, like, it's like, okay, they rendered this with all the components in the code. It's like, okay, let me actually um, talk to this. And then so his second prompt is then clean up this text, 
remove the extra characters. Um, and I believe there's some way of like actually talking about it. And then the third one is add some gradient to the heading. Um, and then it keeps going on and on. Then it changes it to black and white gradient. And you, there's actually like a, 11 different prompts until he eventually gets to like the finalized uh, landing like form input that he was expecting. Um, and so this is kind of like, uh, like I think it's been kind of solved using something like a mid journey or stable diffusion. Like we've had like image generation, uh, but what's really interesting here is it's actually doing both. It's generating like, I, I don't think there's actually any image involved. It's just generating React code that it's rendering for you right then and there. And you can um, see the experience and interact with it using uh, prompts. And um, there, I, I believe, they haven't really announced it, but I believe a lot of this is built on top of ShadCN and Radix, Radix UI. Um, I think that's part of like what enabled them to 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 do this. Cool, yeah. I don't know too many people that would be averse to saying, "Here, make me this and have something make it for you." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have uh, I've had some experience with this, uh, not with the zero, uh, but with ChatGPT's um, image recognition feature that just came out recently. Mm -hmm. I um, for this app I wanted to build, I needed like a, a complex grid system. And I just couldn't figure out how to build it with CSS and HTML or even like programmatically build this grid. And so what I did was I designed the grids that I wanted. Like here's what it looks like with one item. Here's what it looks like with two, all the way down to like 10 items. And I actually then sent those photos, I took pictures of those designs and gave it to ChatGPT and asked it to, to write the code to build that grid system. And it worked really well. <laughs> and so it's just, I don't know, my mind is blown. I, I honestly am so blown away that these things, that this works. Um, and it's like pro problems that I'll be like, banging my head against for a week it, it'll help me solve within like 30 minutes and I, i'm seeing the uh I'm, I'm i'm seeing the light here in the ai world in the post ai world yeah i mean i have to admit i'm real i'm not a fan of ai at all or chat gpt for you know in a lot of cases there are some cases where i'm seeing where it's it can be useful you know just in general there's too many stories about false data, whether it was when, you know, the Model 4 first came out from OpenAI about, you know, searching for information on something in Mexico and it just makes up all kinds of data. And there was a story about the lawyer who had to fight yeah. back because ChatGPT made up all these cases that had gone against him and these crimes he'd been charged with that none of it never happened. It just got made up on the fly out of thin air. You know, that stuff scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> but... Uh, yes. And I think in from a coding standpoint, from everything I've heard um, and from, you know, if you're using it for specific uses other than just a general answer to the question about life and why everything is here, it's great. You know, we're using it at my work every day for we're feeding it tons of data 
that is uh, that we have, you know, in our database and it's government contract data. And usually we have a guy who's super smart and very knowledgeable in this stuff and he's feeding it in and trying to, you know, create predictions for our customers. Okay, based on this, we predict that, you know, this and this is likely to happen in this particular contracting space. And for that kind of stuff, it's awesome. And for, you know, generating code and templates and stuff like that, considering my extreme lack of design capabilities, um, I could see something like this being incredibly useful for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think when there's like a um, right or wrong answer, it, it, it does a good job at, um, not necessarily like true or false, um, like this uh, law stuff or, you know, like real life events. But for code, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think it's very easy to see if it's working or not. Um, and that's that's where I find a lot of benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, I don't, I, I agree with like the just AI assistant, something to talk to, scenario i i don't find much value in that because it it always you're always right in these situations and i don't that's not that's not a real conversation um for example my my wife asked it yesterday uh what uh which which day of the week rhymes the best with chest day just we're talking about working out our chest at the at the gym and she thought it was Thursday. I thought it was Wednesday. I go with and, Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, but really, it's just day, right? We're just yeah. we're just rhyming yeah, day right. with day. And so we asked ChatGPT, and it's like, oh, we think it's Monday. And she's like, Monday? Explain why. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, we think it's Sunday. Oh, explain. And there's there's never an explanation. It was just very assertive. This is the correct answer. Oh, your ChatGPT, you're not correct. It just kind of throws out a different answer, and, and that. I don't like that. There's there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Um, but with code, it's amazing. i big fan. Yeah, it looks like uh, Superbase. I was just looking at their Twitter account. Superbase is starting to use Shads again. I don't understand why, frankly, because their, their UI is... Honestly, I think they have like a really nice dashboard. Uh-huh. Um, but... Uh, yeah, well, I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what they do with that. All righty. Anything else about Shad we want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I just, I just, uh, I think everyone should give it a try. But that's that's the key point here. Um, it again, it solves a lot of the problems that you probably didn't even know you had, and it makes your website very uniform and very nice, very quick. Yeah, I'm wishing I had used something like this when I started my you know, my current app that I've been working on. But uh, I, I can say I've learned a lot about creating my own data tables and search capabilities from scratch. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gives you some, you know, a lot more control over what you want, what you want to do, and how to display things and stuff like that for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to play with that. I've been looking at this and stuff like Prime View and Daisy UI. Daisy UI is another one that a coworker uses that's fairly unstyled. Um. You know, and you just plug it in. It's all Tailwind based, and and then you can uh, tweak it how you want. Yep. So, so right on. All right. So let's move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about anything we want. 
within reason, of course. You don't want to get fined or anything. Um, so I'll pick, I have actually pick a movie, a couple movies. Um, on JavaScript Jabber, uh, one of the other panelists, AJ, had recommended a movie, Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, really good, really clean movie. You know, it's not like rated R or anything. And I don't do what I did and get it mixed up with Gran Torino. Gran Torino was the Clint Eastwood movie about the guy who had a car and and was helping out, you know, a neighbor kid friend of his. This is based on a true story. Uh, and I'm already forgetting the guy's name. He's British, a British kid. Um and I'll look it up while I'm talking. But the premise is really cool. And it's, it's a true story. It really happened. Uh, so Nissan, or the, as Nissan, as they pronounce it in the movie, uh, this marketing guy played by Orlando Bloom, uh, wants to get Nissan, Nissan into racing. And so there's this game called Gran Turismo. It's like a huge simulator. And these guys play it. They've got the whole racing car thing with the seat and the custom steering wheels and a big old screen. And it's supposed to be incredibly realistic. It was created by a Japanese guy. Uh, I forget his name. And so what they do is uh, they want to find some racers. And so they, through the whole connectedness of the game that you can play in, in like, uh, you know, gaming cafes and stuff, and they're on realistic courses like Le Mans and Sebring and Daytona and stuff like that. They track who's got the best times. And then uh, they have these actually online races using this game. And the best 10, they pick to come to this camp where uh, they all learn how to actually drive a car, not in a simulator, but actually drive a car. And they get a guy who used to be a racer himself and they all go through this training and then the best one, top one they pick to actually go race on uh, the racing circuit and get their license and so on. And, and so this is all about the kid that actually did it. And he actually plays a part in the role. He plays one of the stunt drivers uh, in the uh, in the movie himself. Uh, his name is G- uh, Jan Martinborough is the racer's name. As I understand it, he's still racing, but great movie. Uh, really cool racing scenes and stuff. He has a really gnarly wreck at one point where his car's flipping over and over from getting caught by the wind. Um, but really great movie. Good if you want to take kids to see it. It's awesome to go see. A little bit of swearing, but that's about it. So uh, we went and saw it in the theater. I think it's still out there. And I took my 12-year-old son. He loved it. And uh, then we came back a couple days later. We came back and watched Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, which is you can see on like on Amazon Prime now, which is that's another great movie. Good story about uh, how Ford got into racing at Le Mans because they were pissed at Ferrari for blowing them off and beat Ferrari for four years running. And back in, this is back in the 1960s, I think it was like 65 when all this happened and how they developed the car and everything. So, two, if you're into race, even if you're not into racing a lot, they're good movies. Yeah, I I I have to agree with that one. I, I've we saw. Gran Turismo recently as well and um, it's pretty it's amazing how they were able to bring in these gamers and uh, you know turn them into real real world race uh, race car drivers and um, from what I understand that's kind of the standard now in like the race car world I think a a significant portion of professional racers come out of these uh, virtual simulators 
Yeah, the term that this the slang term that the the other drivers used is oh those stupid sim racers they call them sim racers. Yeah, for simulators. I mean, there's granted even with the full on setup, you know, in your room, you're still not going to get all the G force effects and and all the stuff of actually driving a car. Not yet. Uh, until you actually get in the car for sure, and you're going you know up to 200 miles an hour. Right. I went to uh, recently, uh, or every year, one of the last stops. I think it's the next to the last stop on the IndyCar circuit here in the U.S. is here in Portland. And so for the past couple of years, I've gone to see see those races. And I've seen other races out at our racetrack here in Portland, PIR. Um, you know, I've seen NASCAR and, and other levels of racing. IndyCar, those speeds are, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different world about how fast those things go. I have a video that I put on my Instagram uh, where I'm sitting in a fixed spot as the Indy cars go by. And it's just, they're just a blur, you know, it's so fast. And we're, uh, I'm talking to some friends of mine, uh, the son of a buddy of mine works out at the track quite a bit. And we're out there and he's saying, yeah, usually, you know, these races go a little longer because a lap time is a couple miles and lap times maybe, you know, two minutes with the Indy cars, it's like a minute and a half or a minute, you know, just because they're going so fast. So, yeah, the speed is just unreal. But anyway, uh, on to the dad jokes of the week, which are, as most people know, at least me, are the highlight of, of any of the podcasts I'm in. So, uh, saw this the other day about someone who's been, uh, you know, they're having browser issues and, you know, you use the Microsoft stuff, restart, clear your cache and and uh, this person says okay i've cleared my cache of cookies but i still don't see how eating 300 oreos is going to make my computer work any better right um what do you say when your favorite smoke shop for those of you that are smokers turns into a j crew store clothes but no cigar right and the other day I said to my son, what do you call a bunch of indifferent pumpkins grown on a hill in Norway? He didn't know. So I said, a horde of bored fjord gourds. He was floored, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, those are the dad jokes of the week. Cody, your great. turn. Great, great. Um... Uh, let's see. So my pick, I guess, is um, more about uh, atmospherical changes. No. Um, so in the winter time, this time of year, um, or as the year we get closer to winter, uh, we the waves, the surfy, surfable waves, the swells, uh, begin to come from the north um, rather than the south. And we are just experiencing today, well, I guess started on Sunday, but it's still going on today, our, our first north swell of the year. And so what that means is like the, the direction of the wave is coming from a different direction. And so that now all of the beaches on the northern side of the, the island um, are, are surfable, whereas like the waves on the, the beaches on the southern end are, are flat or very small. And it's just, uh, a time for celebration because uh, these are the the better waves, in my opinion. Like the North Falls are are very fun. So is this the vaunted North Shore of Hawaii that that everybody talks about? 
Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So the North Shore of Oahu, it's it's a different island, but mm-hmm. um, it's only like a fifty dollar ticket. So I fly over pretty regularly to hang out with friends and surf over there. Um, but yeah, so that they have just gotten starting today, like their very first like significant sized waves. So it's forecasted at about like ten to fifteen feet. So pretty much ex- expert level surf um, has begun. And so it's a it's a very exciting time for us here in Hawaii. Yeah, that sounds really swell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm so yeah. coming over to your place and crashing at your place so I can surf. Oh, sometime. come on over. Yeah. The most That's surfing good. I've ever done is bodyboarding down in San Diego when I was down there. Nice. One time. So yeah, I would I would love to be able and it's physical as heck, right? I mean Oh yeah. You're you're using every part of your body to especially Full your body. legs and your core more than anything, I would imagine. Yep. And I have plenty of back muscle and as well as uh, extreme cardio. Um, yeah. You know, you're in a, a very low, low oxygen environment half the time. So yeah. you're underwater. Unless you, got, <laughs> unless you got gills, then you got all kind of available oxygen, right? Right, right. No, unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't get that gene. So, um, but yeah, that's all I got. So I'm what's just... your, how, how big, how big a waves can you surf? I would surf the waves that are there right now. Yeah, we could, yeah, I could surf the 10 to 15, but I'm not, probably not going much bigger than that. Um, yeah, it, it depends. It depends. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the bigger limitations is less my skill and more just the boards that I have available to ride. Um, as you get to those bigger waves, uh, the board becomes very important. You really, you don't want to be catching it at the wrong time. And so you, you need like a bigger board, but it can't be too wide. Mm. Like there, there's a lot of variables that take place and um, they're just very expensive. So, and we don't, where I live on this island, we don't really have waves that get that big. Um, so uh, it's, it's only, it's kind of like a, I, I don't know if it's worth investing in just mm. yet. You ever yeah. done any competitions? Uh, no, but my brother has. Mm, cool. Yeah, my brother. So we grew up bodyboarding as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my brother was actually a professional bodyboarder um, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sport kind of kind of died economically. Like mm-hmm. it's it's you can't make a living off of professional bodyboarding. Right. Um, Unless you surfing. got sponsors, maybe or something like that. Right? Well, like he was definitely sponsored. But even then, like, like even the best of the best bodyboarders in the world, like they... They're more like prestigious coaches is how mm. they make their money. Right. Um, they have like uh, surf camps and stuff is mm. how they, yeah. There, there's so, not like, you're not winning a tournament and making a million dollars like in surfing. Right, right. You know. Like, uh, yeah. what's the guy's name? Kelly Slater. Yeah. Those, those kind of guys. <laughs> Kelly Slater, he's worth like $50 million. You know, yeah. the best bodyboarder in the world is probably worth like two. So... <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't sneeze at two million. Oh, right, right, of course. But he's the absolute best in the world that's right, ever right. existed, you know. Right. And and in in how many things, if you were the absolute best, would you make millions? And right. it's most most things. So how often, at least in Hawaii, probably more so in Australia, do you run into sharks? <laughs> uh, I'm sure they're there, but I never see them. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're great. Just um, stay away from me. We're fine. I don't taste good. You know, just leave me alone. Yeah, for sure. Of course. It, it, we have, I like to think 
our ocean is very healthy, at least here. And um, there's plenty of fish for them to eat. So, oh, okay. um, but there are definitely shark attacks. I think there were actually two on this island this year. I mean, they came up onto the island. That's pretty good. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. No, oh, okay. no. There were, I, I want to say like 500 yards offshore. Oh, there, okay. there were both, the, both attacks occurred to people that were uh, doing like long distance swims. By oh, themselves. right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, probably don't do that and you'll be fine. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> don't go um, swim in the water if you don't want to get eaten by a shark. Yeah, don't swim super far out all alone. And like, yeah, don't do that. Uh, but but I have seen sharks like while snorkeling, um, which is like little sharks that are like sleeping in caves and stuff. Hmm. And uh, and I have gone like cage shark swimming. Um, but it is always on my mind. That's for sure. But it's cool. Yeah. It's it's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, I think the closest uh I've ever come to surfing, besides watching something like Point Break, is listening <laughs> to this day I still listen to the surf punks. Uh if you've ever heard uh the surf punks, they're this, you know, punk band from LA in the early eighties that can play three chords, maybe four if they were lucky. That- and it's all about <laughs> their music is all about um how uh, all the valley people that come out to the beaches on the weekend piss everybody off, and and the locals hate them because they're and they're always making fun of them. It's it's so funny. My beach, I think, is the name of the album I listen to all the time. But nice, I'll give it a, I'll get, I'll check it out. Is that, that yeah, that sounds about right. There's there's one. This is so funny. There's one song. Uh, it's called Surfer's Nightmare, and it's all about what it's like for a surfer if you actually had to join the military. And so the drill sergeant's yelling at it, come on, give me push-ups. Get and I'm like, no, man, I like nature. I want to surf. Leave me alone. No, no. <laughs> and so my wife comes in one time and I had that on the speaker. I like, what the heck are you listening to? I had to laugh and explain the story to her. So, Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> <It> sounds- <laughs> yeah. I think the, well, there was another band I remember hearing of back then. There was... Oh yeah, the butthole surfers. I think was another one, or I can't remember who. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny music. So, surfers are it's a good group of people. Very, very fun group of people. Oh yeah, I'm sure. know, they're they're just they go with the flow, man. They go with the flow. Hey man, you're not a local. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. So I think we've spent half this time talking about surfing and movies, and half about view. But that's okay. It's all right. We aim to entertain. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Cody. And Thank you. we'll talk to everybody next time on Views on View.